So good. So, so great. Well, Sam's not here this morning. He has a severe case of the man flu. (laughs) Ah, that's so good. All the women go, oh. And all the men are like, yeah, oh, poor guy. Yeah. So he's at home. (laughs) He's uh, resting because he wants to preach tonight. So he's hoping he can be here tonight. But I have told all the team, have something ready just in case. Thanks, band. Love you guys. Awesome. All right. Well, we're in the theme for August, which is identity. Uh, Powerful, important theme. We live in a culture that is asking, who am I? What's my preference? How do I identify? Who am I? It is such an important question and it is massive in culture right now. Who am I? And um, it is actually so important for us to get our heads around our identity and who we are in Christ. And, you know, everyone is saying to us and culture is saying to us that we need to get in touch with who we truly are, to get in touch with ourselves. And I'm going to do part two of last week's message. And so what I started with last week was this concept of, you know, the culture of the world is saying, just be true to yourself. Figure out who you are and be true to that. And I heard James McPherson once say, whatever you do, don't be true to yourself. Whatever you do, don't be true to yourself. In Jeremiah, he tells us that the heart, our hearts, are deceitfully wicked above all things. And so if you are true to yourself and you do what your heart tells you, you're in for all sorts of trouble. Because your heart will play tricks on you and your heart will take you down paths you don't want to end up going down. Because the heart is deceitful and it tricks us. So don't, don't be true to yourself. Worst advice anyone can give you. Don't be true to yourself. Be true to Jesus. Be true to the Word of God. Be true to Him and what He says. And if you do that, you'll discover who you are and you'll discover life in all its fullness and all its blessing. But the world is wanting to deny. It's like we deny our spiritual instincts to do things God's way and we pursue what's in our heart and then we cry out for help when we're on the path of self-destruction and everything's falling apart. So don't be true to yourself. (laughs) Be true to God. Our true source of identity is actually in God because he created us. In Genesis, he said to himself in his holy trinity, let us make man in our image. Let us make them in our image. It goes on and says he created man and woman in his image. So who are you? You are a reflection of God himself. That's who you are. And we can only know who we are when we know who he is. So it's the wrong order in trying to find ourselves first because you can only find yourself when you find him. Every other attempt is going to leave you dissatisfied. I remember, as as I mentioned last week, being a young Christian and asking my pastor, how do I unprogram all the things that I've been programmed in and how do I reprogram the right thing? And he said to me, he took me to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and he showed me where the angels are standing in heaven, worshipping God 
for all eternity, crying out one word repeatedly, holy, 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 holy. And I don't know if you can imagine doing that for all eternity, but I imagine that would get pretty boring, except they don't get bored. Why do they not get bored? Because they're constantly experiencing and witnessing another facet of who he is that is blowing them away. So they're constantly like, whoa, there's more to God. Holy, holy. And again, holy. He's endless. He's endless. And so my pastor said to me, if you're stuck, you just need to see another aspect of God. Because often we can catch glimpses of who he is, but miss the other aspects and we get stuck. He's endless. He's endless. And when we see him, we know who we are. Lisa Bevere in her book, Without Rivals, said, when we have a revelation of who Jesus is, then, then we're in a position to hear who we really are. Peter, the apostle, he was a disciple. And Jesus is saying to all of his disciples in the book of Matthew, I think, he was saying, who's everyone saying that I am? And so they're saying, well, some say you're a prophet, some say you're a teacher, some say you're reincarnated from the Old Testament, some say this, that, and the other. And he's like, no, no, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. He has a revelation of Jesus, and then Jesus says, that's right. And I'll tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. So it was only after he'd had a revelation of Jesus that Jesus was able to give him a revelation of himself. We see in the Old Testament, in Genesis chapter 17, that God turns up at Abraham's house. Abraham answers the door. God's there. Abraham, I am the Lord God Almighty. He gives Abraham a revelation of who he is. I want to say God is awesome at entrances. And so he's like, I am the Lord God Almighty. And then he goes on to say, and you, you are no longer Abram. You are Abraham and you will be the father of many great nations. So it's only when we see him that we learn who we are. And so this morning in part two, like we did last week, I don't want to teach you who you are. I want to teach you who he is. Because in order to know and have confidence in who we are, we need to know and have confidence in who he is first. And so I want to teach you the names of God. Two more of the names of God. Last week we got through so many. We got through seven. Today we're just going to get through two. So just sit back. Well, don't sit back. Okay, wriggle up on the edge of your seat. Get engaged. It's going to be awesome. I'm not asking you whether you know church. I'm not asking you whether you believe in God. I'm asking you whether you know God. Do you know him? Do you actually know him? Do you know him? He is your source. You carry his image, his DNA, his culture, his character. And so the names of God display his nature. And so right through scripture, we see the names of God But because of translation, because they're translated from ancient writing, often they lose their power. And so the ancient writers, Moses and Samuel and David, wrote these names in their power and their explicit names. And yet to be translated into English, we often lose it and we skim over it and don't realize the power. So I want to bring them out. And so here, here are nine of them. 
Because he is healer, Jehovah Rapha, I am healed. Because he is provider, Jehovah Jireh, I am resourced. Because he is conqueror, Jehovah Nisi, my victory banner, I am victorious. Because he is shepherd, Jehovah Rohi, I belong, I'm cared for, I'm look af- looked after. Because he is righteous, we'll do this one today, Sikanu, I am made perfect. Because he is captain, Seboath, I am a fighter. Because he is peace, um, Shalom, I am calm. Because he is present, we'll do this one today, Shema, I am never alone. And because he is God, Elohim, that means I'm not. And that's an important one to know. And I got a lot of these out of uh, Lester Summerall's book, The Names of God, which I'd really encourage you to read. And so Jehovah-Rohi, the shepherd, all these amazing things, peace. Peace means you can be calm. And if anything, this world needs an injection of peace. Everything is just rampant as far as chaos and disorder and anxiety and fear and all those sorts of things. But you're actually, your identity is peace. That's your identity. And I said last week, many of us excuse our chaos for personality. Well, I want to say that's contrary to what the Word of God says about you. Because the Word of God says you are peace. Because He is peace. You are a conqueror. You are a fighter. You plus God are a majority because He is the Lord of hosts. And they're all on your side and they're all fighting for you. So if you want to hear last week's message, make sure you jump on iTunes or SoundCloud and um, it'll be up there. But this week, we're going to do the last two. Because he is Seboath, my captain, I am, uh, sorry, no, not that one. Because he is Shema, present, I am never alone. So this name Jehovah Shema was written in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet. And he's prophesying what the temple and what God's house and what God's people will look like when it's restored. It's beautiful. I love the book of Ezekiel. And so he's here and he says, he says in Ezekiel 48, he says, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. He's talking about the temple. And the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is here. Jehovah Shema is the original in there. So what he's talking about is he's talking about a physical location. Okay, he's talking about, we know in the scripture, Jerusalem is God's city, the holy city. We know that he did a lot at the, you know, all through scripture out of Jerusalem. A lot of key significant events happened in Jerusalem. And that Jerusalem is prophesied to be the place where things are going to go on continually. And um, so Jerusalem is a physical location that is significant to us. But I believe and I want to share a different aspect of this um, Jehovah Shema. And that is the fact that he is God who is there. He is God who is present. He was present in the past. Everything you've been through and everything in history past, he was there. Everything in the future, he will be there. And he's also present right now. And so Dan shared about this in the transition. He's with you. He's with you. He's with you right now. This name of God reminds us of this amazing truth that God chooses to dwell with people. Just allow your spirit to catch that because no one's nodding. 
That's actually enormous. God chooses to dwell with people. Jehovah Shema, God is there. This means you're never alone. Now allow that to sink in. Because we have an epidemic of rejection and loneliness in our generation. But when you know who God is, you know who you are. And you're never alone. And I believe that this is going to bring healing to someone here this morning who feels alone. And you need to know that may just be a lie of the enemy because you are never alone. Because he is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there. The God who is there. So what circumstance are you facing and you feel alone in? You just need to remind yourself he's here. He's right here with me. He's right here in this circumstance, in this moment. He's never away from me. He is always with me. And God chooses to dwell with us. He chooses to dwell with us. In Genesis, when he created everything we know and everything we see, including us, he rested on the seventh day and he said, this is awesome. I love this. This is amazing. And he rested. And I often ask the question of people, did God rest because he was tired? I don't think God gets tired. Right? He's God. So what is rest actually? And this is key for us. He rested because he wanted to spend time with his most favorite creation, us. Rest is time with God. Because you can have a six-week holiday to the Bahamas and come back and still not be rested. But you can steal moments in the presence of God every day and be invigorated and re-energized because that is true rest. And that is where you find who you are. That is where you find your purpose. That is where you find your answers because he is the originator of who you are. And God is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there. He is present in our trouble, in our loneliness and in our trials. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. A very present help. And then in Matthew, it tells us that he even put on flesh, God of the universe, put on flesh. It says, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He's not far off. And even then, when he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is with us right now, in this moment, speaking to your heart. You may be having a revelation or a conviction about something in your life. That's not because I'm good with words. That's because the Holy Spirit is here, because he is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there. He's with you in every decision you make. He's with you in every conversation you're a part of. He is with us. And I've got a few more scriptures that aren't on the screen, but the revelation here is that although Ezekiel was talking about a physical temple, scripture tells us that now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It tells us the same spirit that rose Christ from the grave lives in us. 
He lives in us. He is with us. And so shouldn't our lives reflect that of being filled with the Spirit of God? Shouldn't we live lives that reflect the fact that we are filled with the presence of God? Shouldn't our lives be completely so transformed that we're filled with joy, we're filled with confidence, we're filled with passion and love for people, we're patient, we're kind, that we have the fruits of the Spirit just being born in our lives because we know we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit and God is in us. The Spirit is in us and He chooses to dwell in us. You're not alone. You're not alone and you're not defeated because he is Jehovah Shema, the God who is there. Shouldn't our lives reflect that of being filled with the Spirit of God? Amen? Amen? In Deuteronomy 31.6, it says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear or be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will never leave you. Or forsake you. You are never alone and you are never forsaken. Because he is present, I am never alone. I am not lonely. I am not discarded. He is present. Jehovah Shema. And secondly, because he is Sikanu, because he is righteous, I am made perfect. I am made righteous. This is a big one for us to get our heads around. Righteousness, right? So righteousness means right standing with God. That you can be in the presence of God like we just talked about and he's not going to strike you down dead because you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Big deal. That's good. Okay. So it's one thing to know that we can be in the presence of God. It's also another thing to know we're allowed to be in the presence of God. Because he is the Lord, our righteousness. This implies, you have to understand the implication. If I'm now right with God, it means at some point I wasn't. That's called, or that's the result of sin. Sin makes us not right with God. Sin puts us as enemies with God. And so what happens is we... We deny our spiritual instinct to live according to God's ways. We start harming ourselves and the people around us. We deceive ourselves and we carry on like as if this is the best thing until life starts to fall apart and then we're honest with ourselves and go, really not so great. And we start to see that we're away from God and we're on a path of self-destruction. And so there's a price tag. There's a price tag for sin. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. It's a pathway to spiritual and natural death. Sin destroys who we are and it destroys what God loves. But then we see Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who came in the form of man because God didn't want us to be away from him because God chooses to dwell with people. He sends his son to put on flesh And Jesus comes to pay that price for us. What we could never pay, Jesus comes to pay. So in one person, in one form, Jesus is the embodiment of justice and mercy. One of my favorite sayings is that 
at the cross is where justice and mercy kiss. Because Jesus is like, I know there's a price that has to be paid. That's justice. Justice is someone has to foot the bill. So Jesus takes it. But he's also mercy because he takes it. He takes it for you and for me. And so he's the embodiment of justice and mercy for you, you and me. You, it is so personal. This is so personal. He paid your debt. Whoa. Everything that you've done wrong, he paid the cost of that. He paid your debt because he knew you couldn't pay the bill and still be with him, which is what he wants. Because he loves you. So he paid the bill. Now what that means is that you're righteous because he says you're righteous. It means you can come into his presence because of what he did, it's washed you clean. Because of what he's done, you're righteous. The Lord is our righteousness. And we read about this in Jeremiah where um, he's prophesying about the end days, about Judah being saved. And and this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. So you and I are now the righteousness of Christ. And this is a passage that I, and this is a, a scripture I quote over myself when I'm starting to come under the lies of the enemy like shame and regret is I say to myself out of 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21, he made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on my behalf so that in him I am the righteousness of Christ. Yeah, yeah. Devil, you can say whatever you want to me, but because of Jesus, I am right with God. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I am right with God and I just I, I come back into that place of knowing who I am. Knowing who I am. I am the righteousness of Christ. You don't actually have to wait to live a righteous life. Do you know that? This is awesome. You don't have to wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait. You can put on your identity in Christ now and know that you're in right standing with God. When he looks at you, when God looks at you, he looks at you through the sacrificial body of Jesus Christ. He sees you paid for. He sees you debt-free. He sees you clean. He sees you perfect. That's who you are. You're perfect. Now, if I hear another person ever put themselves down, I may just slap you. You are perfect. That is who you are in Christ. Because he makes us perfect. He makes us perfect. We are clean. We are white as snow. So we need to live that way. We need to live that way. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says that we are looking in a mirror and beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I love these these um, pictures of the mirror. 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. 
in James 1, and this is my most, the most powerful, I think. James 1, it says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself and then goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in all he does. Now let me explain this to you because this is a revelation for me personally coming out of condemnation and shame. When I read that scripture and I realized it was talking about the word of God, every time I look at the word of God, I see who I am. And coming from a framework of shame, I was like, yeah, I see who I am. I see how I don't measure up and how far I've got to go. Yep, I see who I am when I look at this. But what the scripture is really saying when we understand that we are the righteousness of Christ is when we look at the mirror, we see who we really are. I am that. That's actually who I am. And so it changes my whole approach to the Word of God. The Word of God now doesn't make me feel bad about myself. The Word of God now shows me who I really am in Christ. It changes everything. It changes everything when we know who we are. Reminds me of the story in, um, in Samuel of David and Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth, try say that five times really fast. Mephibosheth was a young man. I think he was probably in his 30s. And I'll say that's young because now I'm in my 30s. And he lived in a place called Lodibar. And Lodibar means barren wasteland. He lived in this place by choice. And he ended up there because actually, as a young toddler, as a young boy, he was prince. He was heir to the throne. His grandfather was King Saul. And Saul and his father, Jonathan, so grandfather Saul and father Jonathan were out at battle and they both were killed in battle. And what happened in those days is when um, a king was killed in battle and a new king was ushered in, every single part of the previous dynasty was put to death to prevent an uprising or a revolt. And so what happened was this young boy, this small child, and I picture my little four-year-old Jesse, is scooped up by the nurse who's in charge of taking care of him. She's just heard that Saul and Jonathan have died, and so now this young boy's life is in danger. She scoops him out and starts to run to hide him somewhere to protect his life. And in her running, she drops him, and she hurts him, and he becomes a cripple. And so now, all these years, he's been living in Lodibar, and he's hurt, and he's alone, and he's in isolation. And I want you to put your name there, because this is actually the first response of humanity in crisis, is to run, to run from God. And in our running, don't we hurt ourselves? In our running, don't we make a mess of things? And we put ourselves in isolation, and we hurt ourselves. 
And so Mephibosheth's hiding and we see King David, the new king, who's actually a beautiful, soft-hearted king who is gracious and loving and kind. We find him thinking back on the previous dynasty and he says, is there anyone from the house of Saul still left alive that I can show grace to? And they say to him, well, David, that's a little bit like not the way we do things, um, but there is one. His name's Mephibosheth. He lives in Lodibar, but, but you shouldn't bring him here because he's not right. Like he's not good. He wouldn't fit here. And Jesus, and Jesus well, actually it is a type of Jesus. David says, go and get him. And so they go and they get Mephibosheth and they bring him to the palace. And I'm sure... I'm sure that Mephibosheth would have thought this is it. It's finally caught up with me. I'm finally done. I've hidden for so long, but I couldn't hide forever. Hello? Anyone ever felt like that? I knew I couldn't hide forever. And he comes and he throws himself in front of the king and he expects a sword at his, at his neck, but he hears these words, Mephibosheth, from this day forward, you have a place at my table, I'll provide for your family. You live here, you belong here, and you're a part of my family. This is the picture of being right with Christ. This is the picture of what he's done. It is the truest illustration of grace in the Old Testament. And you know what? That is what Christ does for us. When we know that we're the righteousness of Christ, we know we have a place at the table. We know that we fit with Him because He says so, not because we've done anything right. In fact, we've done everything wrong. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm the only one in the room who will admit that. But I'm not right with Christ because I'm awesome. I'm right with Christ because He paid for me, because He made a way for me, because He said, here's your place at my table. You're now my daughter. I adopt you as my own. And I reckon Mephibosheth, every time he sat there, because you know what? People will look at you and go, oh, look at her. Isn't she pretty sitting there at the table? But you know what's really going on. You know what's really under the tablecloth. You know just how much hurt you've come from. You know actually what's going on and why you're sitting at that table. And people can think what they think, and they will. (laughs) But the truth is, we're right with Christ because he made us right. And there'll be times where we wanna run back to the gutter that he scooped us out of. There'll be times where we wanna lapse back into old patterns and things we know we shouldn't be involved with because the enemy of our lives gets in our ear and says, who do you think you are? You're not, you don't deserve that place. You shouldn't be sitting there. Have you forgotten what you've done? Have you actually forgotten And so you come under that sometimes and you want to go running back to that sorry gutter that you crawled out of until the day when you stop, until the day when you realize, yeah, I do remember. I do remember. And because of that, I'm so grateful for this place at the table. And because of that, I'm so grateful for the fact that I am actually royalty now. And because I'm royalty, I can't conduct myself in certain ways anymore. Because I'm royalty, I can't speak in certain ways anymore. Because I'm royalty, I can't 
believe certain things about myself anymore. Because I'm royalty, it determines my code, my language, the way I carry myself, the way I speak about myself and others, the way I speak about my future, the way I speak about my reality. Because he says so, I am. And it's not because I'm awesome. It's because he says so. And because he paid what I could never pay. You are the righteousness of Christ. That's your identity. You're perfect. Church, you're perfect. You're perfect. Why don't you bow your heads this morning, close your eyes. I'd love for you to stand to your feet as well. I'm going to spend a couple of minutes just reflecting. I'd love it if the, yeah, thanks, the worship band could come up. We're just going to sing a worship song, and I want you to surrender your shame and your guilt. I want you to surrender those parts of your life that you feel are dark. And I want you to just hand them over to God and say, God, you know what? I know I don't deserve this glorious life you have for me. The truth is, He never gives us what we deserve. He always gives us so much more than we expect. That is His truth. That is His reality. That is the God who loves you. And so I want you to take those dark areas of your life this morning and I want you just to surrender them to God. And I want you to put on the light and the righteousness of Christ. That is who you are. 